This is the Ipsy SDA Media Network. We're going to be talking about our families, and um, so we wanted to share that with you and your backup team, the brothers that support you, um, Brother Enos, Brother Daniel, and the entire Family Life Ministry team. Thank you for this opportunity, uh, for calling us to share um, so much um, about what God has done for us. This weekend is a, a spiritual weekend, a spiritual warfare weekend. We haven't called it that. Um, all kinds of stuff has been thrown at us this last week. Um, I don't know about you. We just find that Jesus just keeps winning. Yeah, Jesus just keeps winning. So that's our testimony. And so uh, thank you again for the opportunity uh, for calling us and for, th and for thinking about us. We're honored and privileged for the opportunity. I just want to add to what Pastor Carmona is saying about Sister Kathy and Sister Ceres. Um I want to say in the time that we've met over the phone and what a sharing back and forth, the sense that I get from them is that they love you dearly. Mm -hmm. They are concerned about your families. They are concerned about the things that you go through um, and the weight that you carry. Um, and it was evident in every conversation. And so I, I just wanted to share that with you, that you have individuals in this place that are holding you up yes, in prayer and are yes, concerned yes, about the yes. concerns that you have. You might not be able to say anything. You might not have pulled them aside, but they are aware, they are concerned, and they are praying for you. I also wanted to thank just the Ipsy Church family in general. Um, you guys have amazing hospitality. Yes. And the way that you've embraced Pastor Carmona and I has been fabulous. It's like coming home every time we drive up. Um, please know that we've been praying for you since May. Our prayers for you since May. Just praying that God would break strongholds in your life. That he would prep you and take care of you and carry in you in his hand until you got here today. Um, and so we are super excited and we know that the Holy Spirit will be moving to help us discover, surrender, and arise. Amen. Amen. We wanted to share with you, thank you, Elder Dana. We wanted to share with you this, this weekend's theme, Family Baggage, Discover, Surrender, Arise. Um, this evening we wanted to hover around the first step, which is discover. We'll mm -hmm. be saying this several times uh, throughout the weekend. God wants to lift you up. Do you know that? Yes. God yes, is still yes. in the blessing business. He wants to bless your family. He wants to lift up your family the way that he wants. Arise, not in the sense that Satan wants you to arise, in the way that Jesus wants you to arise. But before we get out of the rut, before we get out of the jam, before we get out of the dysfunction, before we get out of the drama, before we get out of the conflict, we have to surrender first. And we can't surrender unless we discover, right? This seems to be a theme that Dana and I have found in multiple stories. John 9 is one of those stories uh, where the man who is blind by birth discovers that Jesus is the Messiah and immediately begins to worship him. So uh, the Pharisees who are listening in don't worship Jesus. So they know that Jesus is the Son of God. In other words, they discover it, but they don't surrender. Mm. So they can't arise. Mm. The man who is blind 
discovers that it's Jesus because even though he heard him say, go wash in the pool of Siloam, he hadn't seen him. And then they interrogate him. They, the Pharisees, they kick him out of the church. Jesus hears that they kicked him out of the church. He goes looking for him, finds him and says, hey, do you, do you want um, to know the Son of Man? He says, well, I would love to know the Son of Man, but I, I don't know who he is. And Jesus says, the one that you're speaking of and see now is he. And immediately he says, my Lord, I believe. Mm, yes. And he falls down and begins to worship him. Yes, yes. Right. And then Jesus answers and says, for judgment came I into the world so that the blind may see and those that may see may be blind. And the Pharisees yes. are listening in and they say, are you saying that, that we are blind also? Yes. And then Jesus responds at the end of the chapter in verse 41. He says, well, since um, if, if you were blind, then you wouldn't have sinned. But since you say that you can see, mm. your sin remains. Mm. Mercy, God. Mm. I think he said that with tears in his voice. I think mm. he said that very gently. Mm. They discovered that he's the Messiah, mm. but they were like, oh, well. Mm. This is a journey of discovery tonight. And you probably have discovered these people that we love so much are babies. <laughs> these are girls. We call them girls and babies, of course. They're not right, girls and right. babies anymore. Not anymore. Not anymore. They are all young adults. These are our daughters, Kayla, Raquel, and Victoria. You probably have seen them before, and I think you've heard um, our oldest baby, uh, Kayla, come and preach. That's a preacher, yeah. the word. Yes. Um, so we wanted also to share with you before we get into our uh, message, uh, this is Dana's ministry, Thriving Forward, right? So this is one way to, if you have a photograph or a phone, you want to take a picture of this for the saints who are online also, this is... Uh, a ministry that, that God has called Dana to is called Thriving Forward. And this is a way that you can follow up with us. This is information. You know this and those are our numbers. If you want to take a picture of that, that's one way that you can, we can follow up with you and work with you confidentially um, afterwards um, when it comes to coaching. This is one of the things that Dana does, right? She's a therapist, a counselor, and also a coach, right? So we wanted to talk about this text right here, right? We wanted to get into our text, but we wanted to say, doesn't it seem like the world is falling apart? Am I the only one? Doesn't it seem like God just needs to restore the whole planet? The whole planet. I was listening, I was watching, um, reading uh, CNN, a snake falls from the sky. Did you, did you hear that? Did you, did you, I was reading that. I was like, what on earth is this? A snake. I couldn't help because my mind thinks theologically, a right. snake falling from heaven? A serpent? I saw Satan fall from heaven. I was like, a snake falls from the sky and lands on a woman. This sister was minding her own business. Talk about family life. She's just taking care of her grass. She's riding her lawn mower, her rider mower, cutting her grass in Texas. And... Um, just cutting away, they're not doing anything wrong. All of a sudden, the snake falls on her from the just boom, falls on her arm, wraps itself around her arm. She's like, what is, what's going on here, right? Like, what have I done, right? Snake's wrapping around her arm. Her arm, snake is just coming at her. Coming at her face, yeah. What happened, the story was that a hawk was trying to have dinner, right? And you know that hawks and eagles and these kinds of birds of prey will take their prey, lift them up, fly high in the air, and to disable them, right, to knock them out or kill them, will drop them from these high altitudes and then uh, come down and pick them up and have dinner. 
So this is what was happening. It was dinner time, right? And uh, so it, it landed on her, and um, she didn't know that her deliverance was coming from the sky. Come on, somebody. God sent the, right angel, the, I said the angel, the hawk said, I still need my dinner, and went back to, to retrieve the snake. But he thought that the, you know, the lady was trying to take the snake, so he had some words to say to the, to the lady. She recovered. She was delivered from this snake that landed out of nowhere. Don't we need restoration? Yes. We need to be restored. Our two verses for the weekend, one from the Old Testament, one from the New. Lamentations 521. Holy Spirit speaking through Jeremiah, restore us, O Lord, and bring us back to you again. Give us back the joys we once had. Let me just say this again so that we don't confuse the part that grace is playing in here. Jeremiah isn't saying anything about, about, about us going back, about us being restored. He says, restore us, O Lord, and you bring us back to you again. And again, give us back the joys we once had. Immediately, we're talking about what God wants to do through grace in our families. May this be our appeal this weekend. God, through your grace, restore us. Bring us back and give us the joys we once had. So our second text from the New Testament is Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. And I'm going to read it from the New American Standard Bible. Therefore, since we also have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us rid ourselves of every obstacle let us strip off every weight that slows us down. And the sin which so easily entangles us, sin that easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking only at Jesus, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the originator and perfecter of the faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and has set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Amen. 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 Let's pray. Let's pray. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for being so amazing. Thank you for thinking about us. Thank you for rescuing us from the serpent, the enemy, Satan, who seeks to destroy your people. We ask you, Heavenly Father, to have mercy upon us. May your grace surround every person listening online, the persons who will hear this message later. I pray that you would bless them and surround them with your grace. For those who are here as well, work in a mighty way, O oh God. Restore the families back to you. Each person has their own set of things that they're going through, God. You know the dramas that they go through. I pray that no one would leave this space and place empty. Fill them as only you can. In Jesus' name we pray. Let all God's people say amen. 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 You wanted to recap for us um, the family life message of restoration. It's a message of laying aside sin, laying aside baggage that's weighing us down, baggage that easily uh, besets us. And family, just a reminder again, we've been in prayer about this weekend and just immediately we have shared that this is a spiritual warfare 
discussion and we are appealing right now uh, to you as we have been praying. We wanted to get that out in front. What are some of the baggages that the Holy Spirit is speaking to each of us that we need to let go of? My prayer is that this weekend will be the beginning of a journey, a continuation of the journey of addressing the baggage specifically that each of us has, right? Uh, restoration is the plan that God has for us. The Word of God says in 1 Peter 5.10, And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. What a mighty declaration about the mm. restoration of God mm. from the Apostle Peter. And we almost forget that Peter's the one who played one of the major roles in betraying Jesus. Mm. Like, wow. It's almost like he's speaking from his own experience. Mm. And the God of all grace, maybe putting himself in that, the God of all grace who called me, he might be thinking, to his eternal glory, after I've suffered for a little while, will himself restore me and make me strong again and steadfast. Jesus certainly did that. I think we introduced the topic of family baggage in March of this year. Thank you again for that gracious invitation. We're so glad to come. Overcoming Family Baggage was the title of that message at that time, and we laid the foundation for this weekend, right? And I think it's relevant for us to kind of, as a recap, talk about what we talked about, right? Um, as we prepared for this Family Life Weekend, I wanted, we wanted to share with you, right, that we carefully studied the Ypsilanti family, right? Uh, by asking the family to complete a brief survey that was prepared by the Family Life team. And so the message that we had this weekend is our response to the analysis of that survey. What we're saying is that this weekend has been handcrafted, right? This has been a handcrafted weekend. We're not kind of pulling things out of the air, saying, well, what, what could we talk about? Mm -mm, mm -mm. Um, your Family Life team was very diligent very efficient in putting together a, a survey that I believe is still available. We'll be checking it, so if you have questions, you can still enter data on there or speak with us or with the Family Life team so that when we address communication tomorrow afternoon, what happens in family communication, this was the number one thing that the IFC family said this is an area of interest for us, is how we talk to one another, right? So we will be addressing it from that perspective of overcoming, right? Um, so you know that the enemy wants to get in between in your communication, right? That communication is one of the things that the Satan um, ad is advanced in, right? And he used communication in heaven to start all kinds of mess. It's nothing new. The simplest statements of Jehovah, he twists and makes people think something that God did not say. Mm. Mm. Uh, what roles should be played out in our family? This is another area that the Ipsy family wanted to know about. When it comes to family life, this was another high area. Right? The majority of people are asking, what are the roles that, should, that we should play out in family? We're going to be speaking about that this weekend because that's something that you were interested in and that can be baggage. How we resolve conflicts, even biblical hermeneutics that we will introduce this evening. We share that family baggage is more and want to stand on the word of God. That family baggage is more than psychological or emotional hangups that we carry from our families or drama that great-grandpa gave to grandpa, who gave to dad, who gave to us, right? But somebody might be asking, well, pastor, what about people who just, they just speak in rage, right? They just talk, they just say things, they sometimes things come out of their mouth, they hurt people, 
But that's just what they learn from their family, right? That's just how they are. That's their baggage. Well, friends, it's time to call it what it is. Is that okay if we do that tonight? Mm. When somebody answers and talks to me that way, when we're just going to be transparent, the Word of God calls that works of the flesh. Mm. doesn't call it baggage. calls it works of the flesh. In Galatians 5, 19 through 23, in Galatians 5, the Apostle Paul is addressing works of the flesh, right? The result of sinful living. Works of the flesh is the outcome of living paired up with sin. And there's a list of 16. He's going on. He's not holding back. Right? He's talking about baggage. We are calling baggage sin. Mm-hmm. Somebody might say, well, that's just kind of you know, how I kind of do things. We are not surprised when the big, right, in quotes, I'm going to put air quotes, when the big sins, right. he starts coming out, in the, out of his corner. He's coming at these works of, of the flesh. Drunkenness. They're like, yeah, come on, preach that, Paul. Come on, wild parties. Mm, we can't have that. We can't have wild parties. Sorcery, I told you. I told you, sorcery. Idolatry, impurity, sexual immorality. Mm-mm, mm-mm, Paul, go on. And then he mentions those, but then we are startled when he pivots. Hmm. The Apostle Paul pivots and includes deadly baggage like hostility. Hmm. Hostility is a sin of the uh, work of the flesh. Hmm. It's sin. Quarreling. He's not done. Jealousy. Outbursts of anger. Hmm. Selfish ambition. This is Galatians 5. Dissension, division, envy makes the list. Hmm. He's done for now. And then he adds, and other sins like this. Like he wants to say more. You know if you give him a chance, he'll say more. Mm-hmm. But he just says dot, dot, dot. Right. right. Mm-hmm. And as if he can hear, the Spirit is saying, just listen to this. As if he can hear some church member in Galatia cooking up a rationale to minimize their baggage, he writes, let me warn you as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Mm, A strong warning from the apostle of grace. Well, you need to know that since he is the apostle of grace, he's not going to let it in there. Because the next word after that is but. Come on, somebody. It's in the Bible. But the fruit of the spirit. You know where this is going, right? But means what? That he's kind of, anything before but is pretty much out. But, and then he goes immediately to the Holy Spirit. We're saying it so that we don't get lost somewhere, so we have some clinical things that have to be talked about. We don't want you to miss that it's the Holy Spirit. Mm. That baggage is spiritual warfare. We need help. We need a heavy, the Holy Spirit. But the fruit of the Holy Spirit, in other words, having the Holy Spirit in your life, He, the Holy Spirit, will produce fruit. You don't produce the fruit. It is the fruit Uh, of the Spirit. Mm. Right? And then he goes on to say those beautiful, gorgeous Mm. words of justice, love, Joy, peace, forbearance, right, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I'm so glad he said that. He didn't just talk about the works of the flesh. Like, what are we going to do about that? Envy? Like, how are we going to deal with that? And then he finishes in verse 25. Since we live by the Spirit, back to the Holy Spirit. Since we live by the Holy Spirit, listening to the Holy Spirit, hmm. let us keep in step with, right, or, or living, or, or wherever he goes, we go with the Spirit. Yes, amen. Thank you, Pastor Carmona. As we continue the recap, we thought it would be useful to repeat what we shared also again in March um, about our definition of family and that even defining what a family is is baggage. So um, red flags could go up just hearing someone say husband, wife, 2.5 kids, two-car garage, a cute dog, you know, white picket fence. 
And this is the nuclear family that was previously defined as family, but the landscape has changed. So families exist in all types of combinations. Family can be nuclear, like traditional two-parent, single, step-family, covenant, and or kinship, meaning if you're an adult and you live by yourself, you're a family. If you are a grandparent raising a child or a guardian raising your nieces or nephew or an adopted child, you are in a family. And we wanted you to know and still want you to know that the most important feature is that you are in God's family. We also started that conversation with the story about us when we were newlyweds. And so we just want to um, rehearse or go over that story again because it's key to our, our discovery journey. Um, so we were newlyweds and uh, this particular day I wanted to do a special hairdo. Super excited, I had my hair magazines, and I don't even know if they sell those anymore, but I had those laid out all in the bathroom, and I was gonna do something really fancy. Um, you know, when we were dating, Pastor Carmona would come up, because I had all these new exciting hairdos, I always had something different. So he would come up and talk to me, and put his arm around me, but he always wanted to run his fingers through my hair, and it didn't matter if it was braids or whatever, so I would always have this moment where I would just kind of move away as he continued to talk. Well, this particular day, I just want to share with you that I was in the bathroom changing up this hairstyle, and uh, I need to be honest and upfront with you that some of the hair in my head I had not grown myself. So I am taking out this sew-in. If anyone knows anything about a sew-in or a weave, that as you're taking it down, um, that your hair that you, that's in your head that you are growing um, looks a hot mess. It's, it's not laying down flat. It's all over the place. And so I'm down to the last track, if anybody understands what I'm saying. Down to the last track. And in comes Pastor Carmona. He was speechless. He stuttered all over himself. And so I thought the brother always knew that I was wearing extensions, right? I looked a hot mess, Kathy, okay? Um, something that should be brought before God in prayer. I'm sure that's what he was thinking. So poor Pastor Carmona, the young man from Puerto Rico, he comes in, he looks at me, he has no clue. But praise the Lord, he saw me look beyond the mess as best as he could and just asked if I needed assistance. And I told him, babe, give me about an hour and a half. I'll come out a new woman. I, long, short, doesn't matter. It's going to be all brand new. Well, we would find out much later after this year of being newlyweds that there was a lot of things going on in that bathroom besides my weave and his offer to help me. Once the road of discovery um, got rolling, I uncovered my baggage of perfection in that bathroom. And then once I uncovered that, I realized that I had unearthed more baggage that were connected to that bag of perfection. My attempt to be perfect and to slay the game was really attached to deeper baggage underneath there, a baggage of fear, fear of abandonment and mistrust of men. It was weighing me down and was slowly suffocating all the relationships around me. Well, Elder Dana, when I saw all of this hair in the sink, <laughs> hair that I thought um, had been grown, you know, you had grown right. yourself. Right, yes, yes. Um, I really didn't say anything. I, I didn't think it was wise to really say anything at that point. Um, 
And you're saying that you're in some baggage that you had, but my own baggage um, was, was triggered. We're recapping the discussion that we had in March, and we're sharing with you something real. We're sharing with you our stuff to let you know how God is real and how God will use even something as mundane as, you know, a hairstyle. He'll use anything. Um, to help us with our baggage. And as lovely as she was, this was a scene that seemed vaguely familiar to me um, from my childhood. She didn't know that my baggage was clashing with her baggage. I didn't force myself to think about this. It just came up involuntarily. Mm. But I didn't say anything. I didn't say anything. From my childhood, you know from that sermon that um, I grew up in a codependent home alcoholism and abuse and you should know that although both my parents are sleeping they have hallelujah restoration victory yes, stories uh, I can go on all night amen. about how God delivered them and worked miracles in their lives and in the lives of our family this is part of that story but back then there were no transparent relationships right deception was normal concealment was routine and I thought the macho Latino Carmona, right, that the boss of the house will be talking about that today and tomorrow. Because you wanted to know about roles, right? And that's where I was 30 years ago, right? Um, shouldn't I know these things? Like, who told me that I should know or not know? That's what I thought. That's what came up. And isn't this, like, why wouldn't she tell me that? Like, I don't know, just thinking, I'm kind of like ashamed just thinking that I thought that, but that's, what's, that's my baggage, right? Concealment's routine is the same thing happening here in my new home. I'm not going to tell her. I'm just not going to tell her. I'm not going to tell her. Well, you see, I had inherited the baggage of abandonment and mistrust of men from relatives and family around me. Matter of fact, I also shared in March about the time when we um, went to dinner with our family, an extended family members, and we were out at a restaurant, and um, one side of my family had not met my husband yet. So I was all excited, you know, I'm just sitting down and kind of, you know, working the room, talking to people, and so we finally sat at the table, and I'm sitting there, and then I see my aunts approach me. So I'm moving stuff up the way so they can sit down and have a seat and they're sitting down and I'm like, okay, I wanna introduce you. So my husband, Daniel Carmoda, was so happy. We're like holding hands, you know, super in love. And they say hello to him, nice to meet you. And they turn their bodies and their chairs to face me only. And then they say, um, you know that he's going to leave you, right? Now, Pastor Carmona hadn't gone anywhere. He was still sitting there, he hadn't moved. Um, men never stay. That's what they told me. Um, that baggage had been down there. This abandonment baggage um, was down there like a family heirloom wrapped in bubble wrap, perfectly protected, but seeping through, causing all kind of havoc. Um, the slogan is women end up alone. Like that was the ideology. And that was the precious heirloom. So this baggage is hand down from grandmother um, to nieces and granddaughters. And so we didn't know, no one came and sat and you know, told us, hey, this is what's going on. They just lived it and we saw it. And it was like swimming 
you know, in water, like fish stuff. They don't know that they're in water. They just, this is what the way life is. So then from an early age, I was then prepared to be an independent woman. It's great if you find a man. It's great if you, you know, get married. He's going to leave you, not if, when he leaves you. Um, you're going to need to know how to change your oil, to change um, tires, to check the fluid. You don't need to get a bachelor's degree. You don't know how to uh, balance your budget. Um, get a master's degree. Get a doctorate because men leave. Um, and so I caught men can't be trusted. Men rarely know how to handle or, or do anything. And men must be managed and fixed. My baggage. Didn't, didn't I learn that women could be dishonest and didn't she just prove it? I'm not going to make a fuss about it. I don't want her to think that I'm being petty. I thought I was being petty. But that's one of the things about baggage. You don't want to be exposed. Mm. You don't want anyone to see or think the stuff that's going on. It was foolish. I'm not going to tell her that my lie meter just got set off and that she, my bride, just triggered it. I'm a rookie husband. Do I tell her the truth and suffer the, far, the fallout of breaking her heart? That women at bottom lie. Hmm. So you would hear, and perhaps not necessarily see the baggage, but you would hear me say things like, so where are you going? Or when the keys would jingle, I would hear it from downstairs and make my way upstairs. Oh, so you're leaving. What's going on? Where are we going? So where have you been? This baggage that I had, you know, um, went with me wherever I went. It goes with you and spills out onto all areas of your life. So if I'm having issues with abandonment and trust and fear and uh, mistrust of men, well, I work with men. Um, men are professors and um, police officers are men and judges and pastors are men. And so I found myself having to um, check everything that they did. So if a professor was like, you got to be on this, I would go back and check to make sure I got to be. Like, was that right? Like, you, gotta, you could have missed something. Well, you might not have it all together. Um, if there are some other issues at work, hmm, did he really get the promotion? I really saw that he was slacking. He didn't, I, how did he get it? And I didn't get it. Um, and so there then were those issues. Everywhere I went, my baggage follows me. So my baggage is about women being dishonest. And the question is, would that have an effect on my marriage? What do you think? And what about, do you think that it would stay just in the home? And again, this could also be playing out if you're single, right? If you're a child, right? This can lead to distrust, disengagement, suspicion, and it can happen and make its way into our church. Hmm. Um, and it can be nicely covered up at church. We just need to be accountable, Pastor, and responsible. But really the thing that's behind there could be the baggage. And we wanted to share with you that people who are interested, new people who are trying to come to the church or see your testimony, notice baggage. Mm. We think that it's hidden, it's not hidden, right? So new people who are trying to join may see it and vote with their feet, right? Or their virtual presence, or just leave, right? Like, okay, I've got stuff going on. Why would I want to connect with somebody who's got all this stuff? I've got stuff, right? And may not understand that we're a work in progress. Mm. So we wanted to share with us how God dealt with the situation that we're sharing with you because God delivered us, amen? amen. God delivered amen. us, that's the recap, amen. that's where we were. We wanted to share with you these six steps to discover your family baggage, right? Many times when we have a teaching series, 
or we hear your teaching series, the how is the missing piece. We want to focus on these six steps because this is the how, right? What are you talking about? We're talking about discovering, which is unearthing, figuring out what the issue is before you can surrender so that you're not just surrendering in general. You're surrendering to something specific. This is the issue, God, that I have, right? God will help us to understand that with great detail. How? How, how does one do that? How do, we're talking about discover, surrender, and arise. How, then, does one discover baggage, right? Someone may say, well, I don't need to discover. We want to share with you, because I know, okay, we want to share with you how this happened for us, okay? These six steps are not the only six steps. These are the six steps that we prayed about, studied as we were looking at the results, right, from the survey, and the Holy Spirit said, these six, talk about these six, as we pray together with the Family Life team. Number one. Prayer. Um, go ahead. Prayer, bathe everything in prayer. Second one is therapy or counseling. Discovering your cognitive distortions. Number four is adverse childhood experiences. Being able to map out genograms with a therapist. And then discovering your understanding of the Bible or, or biblical hermeneutics. So the first step we took in discovering our baggage was prayer. I was hoping I was going to get an amen. <laughs> yes, <God. laughs> Because prayer changes yes, things. Yes, yes, it does. Prayer changes you, it changes me. Don't miss out on prayer. Don't dismiss prayer. Don't dismiss the Holy Spirit's guiding and directing. You know, the Word of God says in Jeremiah 33:3, He says, Call to me, and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. Now, I didn't write that down. That's the word right there. You know, He keeps His promises. This is about discovery. We're going to be asking God, what are the issues? What is my baggage? Um, you know, the same God that helps you find your keys can help you identify your family Hallelujah. baggage. Hallelujah. You know that, right? Uh, the same God that provides for you when there is more month than money, yeah, that provider can help you uncover your family baggage. So five years after the bathroom incident, we're now into our sixth year of marriage. And we're hitting, gosh, just being honest and open, uh, we're hitting a rough patch in our marriage. I was disgusted and totally upset at him all the time. I felt there were some things that needed to be addressed in our marriage, and I felt Jesus needed to step in and fix him. Mm, yes, yes, yes. Um, so is it okay if I just share some of my previous baggage? I wasn't the nicest person, y'all. I'm just going to put it out there. Pastor Carmona would never say this. I, was the nest. I wasn't the nicest person. I was exacting and rude and mean. I was comfortable and cozy, um, wrapped up, snuggled up in my anger. I was all warm and, and, and blankets of grudges, sipping on a hot cup of hurts and resentment. I kept a running tab, come on now, of his wrongs and rehearsed potential arguments in my head just in case the conversation came up. So I would have a defensive strategy. Come on, I constantly replayed these painful conversations and disappointing discussions, and this is where I lived. Mm, I felt there were things that needed to be addressed in our marriage. Yes, indeed. So I found myself in a bookstore, and I found a book, and I saw it out the corner of my eye, The Power of a Praying Wife. I was like, yes, God, the power of praying. That's what we need. This is 
perfect to get him to straighten up and act right. Yes, yes, I knew he was in trouble now. I was armed and I was dangerous with this book. So me and Jesus, we were about to go all in to fix. <laughs> yes. So I took my so-called weapon and I hid it in one of the closets of another bedroom. So the rest of the day, I remember doing the dishes and into the evening I would see him walk past and I would smile and say to myself, I got something for you, buddy. <laughs> yes, Lord, he's not going to know what hit him. Right, Jesus? Right, Jesus? <laughs> well, once the kids were bathed and in bed and Pastor Carmona was solemnly asleep, I was checking to see if he was snoring. I tiptoed out of the bedroom and made my way to that extra room, sat in the closet, closed the door, turned on the lights, took a sigh, rubbed my hands together, said a quick prayer, tag him up, Jesus, amen. And I opened the book, and I'm rushing through the pages. So the first 20 or so pages, I'm like, mm, this is not really what I'm looking for. I'm looking for a formula. I'm looking for some kind of prayer, something I can say real quick every day, and then you can just fix it. So around page 26 or 27 is just what I was looking for. And so Stormy or Martin says, when you pray for your husband, especially in the hopes of changing him, you can surely expect some changes. And I was like, woohoo, yes, now we're getting to the good stuff. But that celebration was short-lived. <laughs> it turned instantly to disappointment as I read on. She says, however, the changes won't be in him. They'll be in you. I was like, what kind of book is this? Where is the receipt? I'm taking this back. So I read on to see if the author had a good explanation for ruining my night and my plans. <laughs> Um, she, in fact, shared that she was mad herself when she found this out. You see, the thing about bringing someone to the feet of Jesus, you end up in his presence. Mm, you see, God wants to transform you as well. And so he doesn't think like I think. <laughs> his ways are not like my ways. And so as I sat before the Father, he reminded me of my parts that I played in the marriage. He reminded me of my own baggage, the baggage of unforgiveness and anger and hatred and self-pity, lovelessness and revenge, just to name a few. So I dragged myself to bed humbled, but willing to surrender to my baggage. So I committed to Jesus that I would pray for my husband for a year as he worked on me. So while I prayed over all the areas, because the book is broken into different areas, God walked with me on the journey of discovery and surrendering. Mm, yeah. So um, he was revealing to me my stuff, and then I would surrender that stuff back to him. So discovery and surrendering. Discovery and surrendering. And so as I prayed, conflict seemed to lessen. You know, Pastor Carmona did change by God's power. And at the end, he did even mention, you know, there were days when I... I felt like I, I was on cloud 10, like I had all of this power, and I'm not even sure where it came from. I had all this strength, and I was ready to go at the beginning of the day. Um, but to be honest with you, as I surrendered my baggage, I found that the things that I was so upset with him about, mm -hmm. the things that I felt God should fix in him were a non-issue, because mm -hmm. he changed me. Yes. Yeah, so it was amazing. Um, how, how much you notice when you are not trying to work out a defense 
against someone's action in your head while they're talking. Yeah. Pastor Carmona was listening, but I was too busy tallying up my hurts. And can I add, once I was walking through discovering, surrendering those back to Jesus, I realized that I was rude and exacting and harsh in all of my relationships, in all of my settings. And so as God worked with me, my other relationships around me got better. Prayer works. Oh, if we call on him, if we reach out to Jesus to reveal our baggage, the things that really um, easily trip us up, the things that are killing our relationships and sucking the life out of us, oh, he'll answer you and he'll show you great and unsearchable things that you do not know. And then he will give you the power to surrender those things to him. Prayer is for everyone. I know my whole um, testimony right now was about a relationship between husband and wife, but prayers for everybody, right? And I think Stormy O'Martin got that too because she has um, books on the power of a praying woman, the power of a praying husband, the power of a praying parent, a power of a praying grandparent, and power of praying for your young adults. Prayer works. Amen, amen. Can the church say amen? amen? I want to share with you that this was a turning point in our marriage. We were having, and if you listen to, for the clinicians who are here, you're like, okay, that's year six. Okay, you know that divorces come right around year seven, or it takes seven years to work out your baggage, right? On the low end, right? So this was that hurdle, right? This is that boundary stone. The seventh year, this is when things got bad, and prayer played a role in turning around. This sister changed, I'm telling you. Dana changed by the grace and the power of God. We believe that prayer made all the difference. We do not yet have a full understanding of prayer. We keep learning more and more the science of prayer. We don't fully, I think in eternity we'll get even a bigger picture. But prayer is powerful. I don't know if you heard what she was saying, right? Um, Elder Dana, you were, one of the basic things that you're saying is that if you're having a problem with someone, you didn't put it this way, but if you're having a problem with someone, Mm. right? The thing to do, difficult person, whatever they're getting under your skin, the thing to do is to pray for that person that's getting under your skin. Mm. Right. So that's for anyone. Marriage, for issues that you're having with your neighbor. The neighbor keeps bringing his dog over to your grass over and over. It's only your grass. Right. It's like, Lord, what, what do you, why does the dog come, keep coming here? Right. <laughs> Pray for that person or something more complicated that might deal with your family. Begin to pray and watch what happens. Amen. Yeah, which what happens. We're, we're circling around prayer because we don't want you to, to lose the point. We have some clinical things coming up. Two through five is clinical, but prayer is the beginning of that that leads to the other things. For us, for me, uh, therapy, right? For me, right? This is something that the Lord, through prayer, right, and fasting, therapy and counseling is the second step in discovering your family baggage. That's something that happened with me. And I want to share with you, I know that, you know, that sometimes we may, as African-American, black or brown people, you know, we may have some stigmas and challenges about therapy, right? I want to share with you personally how this was a blessing for me. There's some stuff I had to go through. There are layers of things that I had to go through because of my drama, because of my baggage. And I spent, I spent about a year and a half, two years in therapy. I want to share with you that God did something for me, and there are sometimes that we are in situations that are so complicated, right, that God is going to heal in his own way. Let me just tell you something about how God restores. Be careful about thinking that God is going to restore us the way he restored someone else. Be be careful now. 
Be careful. God can heal however he wants to heal. And by the way, he never healed anyone the same ever. In the Old Testament or the New Testament. They were all different ways of healing. Right? So be careful about the principle, you know, well, he did that for you, he did it for me. Yeah, be careful how he does it. Don't put God in a box and say, well, he did it this way. He healed blind people. He had all different kinds of ways of healing blind people. He could even tell people, you know, in stages, like the guy in John 9, right? Put this on your eye. He spits. Go wash in the pool of Siloam. And he came back seeing. He didn't do that for other people. What are we saying? We're saying that God can use professionals to help to heal you. Mm. He can take his time to heal you. If it took, what am I saying? Okay. I've had the experience of baptizing people, and I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, God is incredible. Mm. Coming out of the water, the person tells me, my, my desire to smoke is gone. Mm. Right there. Yes, yes. Right, and all I can do is just say glory to God. And guess what? They don't ever, for the rest of their life, long for nicotine ever, that one person. Right. But for that one person, for every one that I find like that, I'm telling you, I find about 20 people that come up out of the water and by Tuesday, they're struggling to get another cigarette. So God is going to have to find a different way. He still is going to heal that person. But be careful about thinking, well, you know, I'm still struggling with this thing. I'm still struggling with this addiction. Maybe you need some help. And the healing doesn't belong to the therapist. The healing doesn't belong to the dentist. The healing doesn't belong to the surgeon. The healing belongs to God. God can use whatever agency he wants. Be careful. He can do whatever he wants to do and use whoever he wants to use. In my case, I'm sharing with you my case, it was therapy. Right? There's some things that I had to go through. And God was like, Carmona, that's not going to work, Dan. And at first I was like, you know, I don't really need that because I've got this. You know, like I've got this. But God was trying to show me, you know, it took about 25 years for you to get in this thing. It might take two years for you to get out of it. But I was like, no, 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 I've got, I've, I've got it. I've got it. And God was trying to share with me, you need help. I remember years ago um, when the babies were little, we had two babies back then. We were coming back, Dana and I, with, the, with our, the, our two daughters at that time from visiting our folks uh, in Massachusetts. We were driving back home to Michigan. And um, it was Christmas time. So we're coming back from Christmas, driving, and a storm comes, hits us, and we're crossing. If you've ever crossed 8090, you know that in the middle of a storm, it can be a mess. 8090 is that, that interstate that crosses, right? Uh, the United States in that section between Michigan, kind of runs east west, right? So we're heading westbound on 8090. This storm comes out of nowhere. It's like, <laughs> Snow all over the place. So I slowed down, right? Right around Ohio, visibility is just wild, right? 65, I go from 65 down to 40. Dana, right, is saying to me, Elder Dana says to me, baby, you want to slow down? You know, slow down because, you know, because of the snow, because of the storm, right? Slow down. And it's just slippery. And I'm like, baby, I'm going, I was going 65, and now I'm going 40. You know, I've got this. I've got this. She said, you know, I said, you know, it'll work out. It'll work out. I've got this. So we keep driving. <laughs> snow, more snow everywhere. Visibility still doing about forty-five, about forty. Dana repeats. Dana, Dana repeats to me. Dana repeats to me. Dan, you know, you should slow down, right? You should slow down because because the conditions are getting worse, right? And you know, I'm the boss, right? I'm, this is this is what. Latino men do, right? 
And I, if, I'm, if I'm not mistaken, I think I had my driver's license, I think, before. Um, you know, some people had their driver's licenses. And so, I'm, you know, I'm driving along and I'm like, you know, I responded as kindly as I could to let her know that this is something that is, is taken care of, right? And so I say again, I've got this. And as I finish saying this, the minivan starts to slide off the road. And the first thing that I say, you're not going to believe this, I, I keep saying as I'm trying to steer out of it, I've got this, I've got this, I've got this. I say it out loud, no, I've got this. I've got this, I've got this. I keep saying, I've got this all the way as we slide into the median into a whole bunch of snow. I've got this off the highway. We're now in about a whole bunch of snow there with eight other brothers who also are stuck in the middle of the median who also had it. So we're sitting there, the babies are sleeping, they're in their car chairs, the minivan is up on the side, it's in the middle of this thing, there's snow all over the place, and Dana doesn't say a word. Now, when Dana doesn't say a word, <laughs> right, this is a sign, right, that's kind of t- saying to me, okay, you've, you've managed once again, right, to kind of get yourself right into this situation again, right? And so... I'm like, I'm looking around. I can't look at her. I can't look at her. I'm just looking straight. I can't look at her. So I'm like, okay, problem solved. You know, we've got a, I'm a mission guy. Okay, systems. So then I'm like, we've got to, you've got to get out of this thing, right? Because I've got this, right? So I get out, and thank God there was a tow truck, right, who was, um, who was handling his business with all eight of the cars. And yes, there were all drive vehicles who were in the middle of the median. Pickup trucks were in there, too. <laughs> And they, and of course, so then he, the tow truck driver says, well, I'll get to you, but we're in, there's a line. And so we had to wait now an hour and a half for him to tow all those other people out, right? And we were in line. I came back to, and to, you know, share this with Dana, who, without looking at her, and she didn't respond, not, not a word. And then I added to, you know, to let her know that it was good news. I said, it's only going to cost us $380. What do you think about that? So... He pulls us out, we keep going, not one, to this day, not one word from Dana Carmel, not in anything. So I'm driving along, looking as though it's just me driving. <laughs> this time I'm going 20 miles an hour. I'm going 20 miles an hour. Daniel, the van starts sliding again. This time, the only thing I can say is, Jesus! Van straightens out, and we make it all the way back to Berry Springs. Hallelujah, somebody. I thought I had it. I didn't have anything. Or I had none. Yeah, I don't have it. Us guys, sometimes we think we have it. I can't speak for the sisters. I knew that I had it. I didn't. Um, what am I saying? For me, this is what I needed, right? With the issues that I was having... Uh, I mentioned codependence. You know, codependence is toxic. It's deadly, right? It's that thing, you know, you always you grew up in, on, on red, on emergency. So you think your whole life is emergency. And you think everyone else should, should respond to that emergency. But life is not always on orange and red. Certainly not always on red. Your adrenaline cannot possibly keep up with that. Um, codependent people give everything. Are constantly giving until they understand boundaries. And some of them get, get issues because they constantly give you everything. They'll empty out, literally, they'll empty out their bank account. And, but guess what? Not that God is telling them. It's because they want 
to please you because they, they're trying to adjust to whatever you want. They don't know what they want. So whatever other people want, they'll want what they want, right? And you'll wreck your relationships that way. You'll wreck because then guess what? Since you emptied your bank account out, you think everybody else has to do the same thing too. And they haven't been told by God to do that, right? So there are some things, there's some boundaries that, that uh, the Lord was trying to say, okay, you need some help with this. Because it's wrecking you, it's wrecking your relationships. And I want to share with you that this was a real blessing. There was a turnaround uh, when this came to us. Um, number two is therapy from, from me. Number three, our third way to discover our baggage, we're going to start by going to the Word of God. And we're going to go to 2 Corinthians 10, 5. And the New American Standard Bible says, and I'm sure that you know this verse, we are destroying arguments and all arrogance raised against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Paul goes, on, goes all in and states, hey, those thoughts that you're having, you know those thoughts. I, I never can change. God never really loves me. I, I always will be this way. My mom didn't believe in me, so no one believes in me. Things just turn out badly for me when I'm involved. I sin, and I don't even think a holy God even wants me. I did horrible in that last interview. I am so stupid. Paul knew that based on these thought patterns, we make then judgment calls and then decisions. He says to hold them captive and arrest them. He does not say pull up a chair and have, a sit, have them sit down and sip on a cup of you know, tea with you, cozy up, and to sit and go over the negative thoughts, no. So these thoughts, church, are hurting us. The distorted way we think about reality is suffocating our interactions, our relationships, and we wanna be able to discover this baggage right? This way of thinking, which is cognitive distortions. And it's an unhelpful thinking pattern that warps our reality. Um, cognitive distortions are habitual ways of thinking that are often inaccurate and negatively biased. They are tendencies or patterns that twist your thinking, our thinking, and paint a false or inaccurate picture of reality. Um, they can develop over time in, um, in response to adverse events and can cause psychological damage such as anxiety, depression, or relationship difficulties. Another word that we often use is stinking thinking. Yeah, you're, you've got some stinking thinking going on. Have you ever found yourself believing that just because something happened once, that it will always happen again over and over? And that is called overgeneralizing, a cognitive distortion. Yeah, a thought pattern that uh, if left festered um, for me that led to the bathroom that day with all those magazines, like with my aunties that men left them, that means that my man is going to leave me. I didn't get a job today, so I'll never get a job. Um, saying you don't speak well because you stuttered once during the presentation. What about um, responding to a situation without having all of the information? Jumping to conclusions. Mm. Yeah, he did not call me back because he thinks I'm not qualified. Sister so-and-so was mad at me because when I saw her on Sabbath, she didn't look at me when I said hello, and then she kind of sucked her teeth. Um, and then I texted her two days ago, and she still hasn't responded. Um, however, sister so-and-so had just got a message herself, 
and you know her son you know ran her car and it's broken now and she sucked her teeth because she knew that there was going to be a sucking sound from her account mm. she didn't get back to you because her mother was sick and so now you see her again two sabbaths later and she's smiling at you jumping to conclusions um, all or nothing thinking, just a few that's on the slide, is seeing things in extremes or absolutes. Maybe you'll hear yourself saying um, words uh, like um, always, um, right, yes, never, all the time. Um, and then just one more, um, shame. Mm. And that's one of the words that are on its baggage, which uh, um, is linked to personalization, which is a cognitive distortion. It's where people assign blame to themselves for external events outside of their control. And the horrible thing about shame is you'll take that incident that's horrible, mm -hmm. and then you will then make mm -hmm. it your identity. That was bad, therefore I am bad. Mm -hmm. That was horrible, therefore I am horrible. Um, and so I just wanted to um, bring up cognitive distortions because that was an issue that I was going through in my head. Of all the situations that I were going through, one of the baggage was, you know, my processing, how I was thinking, um, jumping to conclusions with Mr. Carmona, Pastor Carmona's doing this, doing that. He said that, he thought that, when I didn't have all of the information. So having a way to discover your cognitive distortions um, we do have a worksheet, we have a PDF for it, um, but it was great for me to work through that because there were some things that I knew, but there were some other things that I wasn't realizing in my conversation until I was sitting with a therapist and she was like, she repeated it back to me and I was like, oh, yeah, that would be one of those cognitive distortions. Um, and so just quickly, as a way for discovery for me, um, discovering those cognitive distortions and then being able to recognize them as I'm saying them. And then, the, you know, the word of God is talking about catching them. So I now say, okay, Dana, is that Jesus saying that? Right. Would he say those right. words to you? Would he say that you're still, would he say that you look this way? Mm, it's not. And so then I then say, I bind that thought in the name yes. of Jesus yes. and call yes. on him. But you have to discover them to be able to recognize, to get to that point. So discovering your um, cognitive dis distortions um, is another step. Amen, amen. Thank you, Elder Dana. Um, over generalizing, jumping to conclusions. Um, in the bathroom with that weave, I jumped to a conclusion, right? That's what was going on there, right? We haven't unpacked that, but that's what's happening. Her doing her hair had absolutely nothing to do with me. She's trying to, you know, make herself beautiful for me, right? Completely not the position, right, of a godly man to think, oh, well, this thing happened to me before. It, you must be doing this thing to me again. That was my baggage, right? That's my stinking thinking. So the idea is, okay, you come to an understanding. Holy Spirit is saying, okay, that's not really what they meant. Be more gracious, Give them grace, forgive them, and move on, right? And move on. This is what God is trying to do for you. She's trying to make herself beautiful for you. You don't have to think that she's lying to you. That's the enemy taking the communication that you're giving with yourself and turning the communication against you and your marriage and your family and your relationships. Take the thought captive and surrender it to Jesus. Amen? Yeah. 
Fourth way to discover is um, adverse childhood experiences. Briefly, I'm just not going to spend too long on this quickly. ACEs, you know by now, you may know about ACEs, right? These are experiences that children uh, have 18 years of age and younger, right, that have uh, traumatic situations. Their brains are very malleable, right? And so things that happen to them have an effect. And from the research, the long-term research that um, has been discovered is that for children who have not received an intervention or have some kind of resilience to kind of counterbalance these experiences, it can be bad for them. I mean, very, very bad for them 20 to 30 years down the road. They can have, they're more likely to get into all sorts of medical problems, problems at work, problems with school, problems with the law, and the one thing that they all have in common are, seem to be these 10 areas. This is what the researchers have found, so that we no longer need to wonder what will happen in 20 years to that eight-year-old who has gone through abuse, neglect, household dysfunction, there's drugs in the house. I wonder what will happen to them in 20 years. The research tells you you don't have to wonder anymore. Yeah, it's over now. You don't have to wonder because now we have Copious, a Center for Disease Control, right? copious amounts of data that show us, right, all kinds of problems are going to happen if they have said yes to any one of these issues. Have you been abused? Have you been emotionally abused? Have you been sexually abused? Um, have you gone through some kind of neglect? And the more of these you say yes to, the more chances you have, that person has, of having all kinds of problems, right, health problems. And so a lot of research here, right, not going to spend too much time on here. You've heard it. Uh, we were going to have you go through the ACES quiz. We can still do that and give that to you. Later on, this, some of this data just shows um, the number of um, the percentage of how it goes up, the risk factors that go up for the ACE score and the teen sexual behaviors, right? So uh, if you want to know about uh, someone who, is, who will be having intercourse by 15, the purple, those bars, show you the number of ACEs or the adverse experiences that they have said yes to. The more adverse childhood experiences that they have, the more likelihood they will have of kind of falling into this trap, except for what? Except if they have an intervention of resilience. Mm. That's what the research shows. And this is the hope piece, right? Is, is to have someone love on them, right? And reverse the thing that was done. Don't, you, don't we have an amazing God? Yes. That even when you go through trauma, even when you go through abuse, even when you go through neglect, even when there's divorce, even when somebody was incarcerated in your, in, your, in your home, even you saw all kinds of things you didn't see that shouldn't have seen, even one person saying I love you and caring for you can turn that person around. Mm. Love yeah. makes a difference. This, this is more data that shows work performance. I wonder why they can never keep a job. Why they're always absent to work. Mm -hmm. It's ACEs. They, the, the research is showing ACEs are probably at play. It doesn't mean that if you score high that this is how it's going to be. Because with, with Jesus, there's always hope, right? And, and also, why are we sharing this with us? This is something that we as individuals can look at to say, okay, this is what it might have been. Here are some of the interventions of resilience that can come. Because if this is what's happening to me now, if I find myself with these conditions, medical conditions, I have psychological conditions, I have financial problems, chances are this is, this is circling. Right. This is circling somewhere. It's related. We're not saying there's a connection, but this is circling. Therefore, okay, so this is where your doctors are listening right now. Your physicians are listening. Treatment plan. Mm -hmm. Right? 
Someone, a child comes to get their immunizations, right? They've got the ACEs, they're checking off. It's seven out of 10. Okay, now we need a treatment plan for this person. You gotta call your social worker, right? Because you not, in 20 years, that's what's, you know where they're going. So, so, the, so the plan is let's put an intervention, let's put resiliency in place so that what? So that they can bounce back. Because we won't know how much resilience they need. Every person is different. Every person responds to the trauma differently. And the baggage then that they're carrying, why does that person a seven times more likely to go to prison? Mm. Do you know what seven times greater than anything is? The more ACEs you have, you have a seven times greater. You're in prison, you're going to light up the ACEs. In other words, something happened and there was no resiliency to kind of bring you back. As the church is listening, right, the folks are like, wait a minute, maybe, maybe if we have eight-year-olds that come here from the community and we discover this, what might we do? Mm. That could be a treatment plan, right? So this is what we're saying. This is, this is for, for us. This is something that's helpful. This is something that we teach is adverse childhood experiences. Let the Holy Spirit um, decide. That's the fourth ace. Um, the fifth way to discover your baggage is through genograms. Um, a genogram is a diagram that is best done with a therapist that shows the family relationships and medical or behavioral histories of um, the members of the family over several generations. This is going to be key to find out that baggage that's been passed down to you that you have, but you don't know where it came from. Um, so it can help to visualize uh, hereditary patterns, um, psychological factors that affect the family. And it's used by therapists to identify repetitive patterns of behavior or family baggage. And it helps you to understand that baggage that has been handed down to you. Um, when I worked um, as a home-based therapist in Indiana, um, I was um, in the home about um, six to 12 hours a week in the home with the family, being able to work with them, seeing all kinds of di dynamics and um, doing family-centered therapy one of the tools we used was genograms. And so I sat with this family and we decided that I needed a bigger space. So we went to um, a place that we could go to that was private, but it was big enough and that we ordered pizza. And so we had parents there, we had some um, aunts there and we had the kids there. So I got this big piece of sticky paper, the big large ones, and we just stuck it on the wall. And then we had the parents and the older family members begin to help me put together a picture of all these generations. So we started with the grandparents, they were married, if they were divorced, what um, um, medical issues that they had, if there was any mental health issues, any addictions, um, any, any of that, all of those, and what kids they had. And um, then we would write that same information for their kids, their aunt, the aunties, and then the kids for those. And then it came to the kids that were actually sitting there. And then they begin to explain, well, yes, I have diabetes, or um, yes, I have, I deal with anxiety and I have panic attacks. And so we begin to write that down. And then I had them all stand up and take a, a, a step back and then look at the sticky notes, the genogram. And so I had a teenage, uh, my teenager, this young man, he's about 15, walks up to the genogram and begins to start with grandparents. And he traces depression, depression in auntie, uh, depression in you know, this cousin, all the way down to him. And then he looks at me and he says, I always thought that this was just me, 
but I get this from my family. And I was like, yeah. So the parents are listening. They're kind of listening in. And he says, well, if it's handed down this way, mm-hmm. that might mean that I would pass it down to my kids. Mm-hmm. And he was like, Miss Carmona, I don't want to pass this down to anybody because I don't like having depression at all. And, and I was like, mm. so the parents are looking at me. I'm looking at them. You know, mom is kind of tearing up. Um, and that was like a defining moment for them because they realized, my goodness, this is just running all the way through our family tree. What are we going to do about this baggage to stop it? So again, this is best done with a therapist to kind of sit with you and to, um, to go through these things. It's hard to see. Um, I think it's you know, definitely an eye opener. So that's the discovery piece and then, you know, Surrendering, because I'm going to keep going back to that, is surrendering and figuring out what we're going to do next. I also want to say that doing this whole thing should not be weaponized. Now that I know that Grandpa did this and this and that and the other, um, we'll say that you know this person was a Rolling Stone or this person you know couldn't keep himself together or she couldn't keep herself together, um, and just making fun of people. Want to you know keep it in context and know that they were going through baggage and they dealt with it the way that they best knew how to deal with it and they might not even had a label for it or a category to put it in they just everybody just knew that's how they were so again step five um, discovering the baggage through a genogram with the help of a, a Christian therapist I'm gonna throw that out there amen 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 step six last step um, biblical hermeneutics and discovering baggage we've been talking about ways that you can discover baggage one of those ways is the Word of God. The Word of God can help us to um, identify and to see. God wants to speak with us. God wants to talk with us, and so he wants to communicate with us. So we're, we're big on devotions whenever morning is for you, right? If, I don't know what shift you may work. For me, it's morning time. Whenever you have time, usually for me again, for me it's morning, to soak in the Word, to search the Scriptures. Um, it is how the scriptures are searched, right? This is a big thing that Jesus taught and that uh, the enemy uh, also knows scripture. Did you know that? Did you know that uh, Jesus in the desert was using um, everything that he said was, it is written. Um, Satan picked up on that the second time. Since Jesus used scripture, Satan came back with scripture. Right, so it is not just that you can quote scripture or that you know scripture, it is that it is rightly divided. It is rightly applied. Did you know that the word of God is the most abused book on planet Earth? Mercy God. That people have used the word of God for all kinds of inventions that God never said because and said, well, how, how are you a Christian? And how can you think that slavery is okay? Well, because it says right here, slaves be obedient. And they'll end the and chapter and verse. They'll open the Bible and tell you this is what this is what it is, right? Um, things like that are happening in this country, right? Have happened in this country. What are we saying? We're saying that the word must be rightly divided. So well, how, how do you know how to rightly divide? Keep looking at the word, right? We're not, I'm not, we don't want to land on anyone, on anyone's presuppositions. Even for someone who, might, who may think that about slavery, my invitation to them would be to continue in prayer, continue in the journey of looking at what Jesus says, right? Continue to look at the life of Jesus, continue to read the life of Jesus and ask the Lord to guide you, to guide your understanding 
so that the so that so that the Lord will then respond because the word explains itself. Mm. Right? The word the, the message of scripture is one is one message. Right? In the 66 books, the Holy Spirit doesn't say one thing in one place and then it says, says something different in another place. Mm-hmm. Right? If it seems that way, the problem is not the Holy Spirit, the problem is ours. Right? It's one message. And so the Lord help me to understand so biblical hermeneutics, this the science of interpreting, can either help or hurt us with baggage. Right. Christian people can use the Bible and that Bible can be used to abuse people. And they will think the reason why you think that you are the boss of your wife, Carmona, when you were little, is because that's what you saw. And that Latino, they, they, didn't, they didn't know any better. This is what they, and, and guess what? This is what you thought. Right. Until you started reading the word for yourself and going through this journey of, of, of Holy Spirit, help me to understand what is God like? What is the kingdom of God like? Is it like the kingdoms of earth where they have elitism and segregationism and rank? Is that what the kingdom of heaven is? We'll unpack more of this tomorrow night. Remember Dana told me one time um, when she, I got permission, when she was going to school um, at a Christian school, not going to say the name, one of the, of the Caucasian teachers right, came to her right, with an idea of this kind of segregation picture right, and, and said, um, looking forward to heaven, the vision, her vision, the white teacher's vision of heaven was, I can't wait to get to heaven, so when I get to heaven, I'll come from my side of heaven to come visit you on your side of heaven. Huh? Right? The vision, right, the vision of, uh, right, the vision of things to come, right? All nation, tongue, kindred, and people. In her mind, she meant, y'all going to live separately, segregated. Just like down here, we're going to be just like that up here. I don't see that in the word of God. Right, so why, why, do, why does the Bible teacher say that? Because of biblical hermeneutics. Mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. What are we saying? In science of interpretation, I was going to go into this sola, toda, scriptura, unity and harmony. We talked about that a little bit. I wanted to finish with this picture of a little bit of quarterback theology, right? To help to illustrate, well, what, what do you mean by this business of biblical hermeneutics? Like, what does that matter? Just read the Bible and do what the Bible says. If God said it, then do it, right? If God said it, just do what he said. You don't have to interpret anything, right? It's a, a simple statement. Just do what he says. You don't have to interpret anything. If it's in there, just do it. Open it up and, it's, and read it. And what it says, you do. Right? So this is the illustration that I have, but you have to suppose with me, right? Talking about the context, right? Context. What is context? Who knows what context is? What is context? This ancient book. What is context? Right? When you're reading a book, a big book, you open up the book, right? Say it's a thousand pages. You open the book up right in the middle, and you go to one line, and then you read that line, you close it, and say, that, this book is about that line. Okay. Okay, so I, what the, I, re, I would respond to that person would be, perhaps you should read the paragraph that that sentence is in, right? Then, context is the things around it. Then maybe the section of the chapter, then the chapter, and perhaps even the entire book to help you to say, oh, that's what that sentence means. You can't just say, this book is about this sentence, do you know that people do that all the time with the Bible? And they think that, well, this is what was said. 
right? That this ancient 2,000-year-old-plus book, ancient book, written in different languages, right? Hmm. Right. And many of the words are not... If there are any people who are bilingual, you understand how difficult it is sometimes to put language, the things that are simply not translatable, so you have to do things like put illustrations, because it's just not translatable, right? In Spanish, it's not a warm canine. We just say hot dog for hot dog, right? So there's all kinds of things can be at play. If you don't understand what's happening, you could go tell somebody to get a warm canine to eat. And they'll look at you like, oh, a hot dog. And I thought, I thought you didn't like my puppy, man. I thought you didn't like Fido, man. Why would you say something like that? I thought you were Venice, man. Right? Quarterback theology, Jesus is my quarterback. Suppose with me, for some reason, I, don't, I can't imagine the reason that the NFL stopped being. <laughs> Just pretend with me, pretend with me in this illustration that for some reason the NFL stops existing and all semblances of football stop and a thousand years go by and a group of Christians on a faraway island who can read English, right, come across the personal journal of other Christians and they're like, look, there's some truth here. And they read the personal journal, right, <laughs> They read the personal journal of this Christian. They're like, there's, there's truth here. There's truth here. There's truth here. But they, they're like, well, what could this mean? And they read the journal because they can read English, right? You're supposing with me, right? The NFL is gone. And they don't know what the NFL is. And they don't know what football is. So these people, a thousand years from today, are, are like, Jesus is my quarterback. Mm. Right? Jesus, what could that mean? And so they start to pray. God, please get, you know, send us deliverance. Send us, you know, interpret this for us, God. And so one of the people, right, who's really like into finance and say, you know what? I know what I was reading. I was reading that that word quarter. Listen to me now. That word quarter, right? It, back then they used to use currency and they had this thing. Listen to me now. He's explaining this. this he's, he's interpreting Jesus is my quarterback. Right. And so he's like, and guess what? They showed me a picture. This is what it looks like. It's a quarter. Which means what? That, that, which is finance, it's money. In other words, this, what this means is that Jesus has my back financially. Come on, somebody. <laughs> right? We were worried about how things were going to happen. How we were worrying about how it was going to work. But God always makes a way. This is what I've been saying all along about the money. Y'all don't need to be stressed out. Don't need to have a budget. Look at what this person, it's a message from a thousand years ago. Right? Jesus is my quiet. And one of the other people who's into medicine is like, I don't know about that. I think that since I, I'm into like uh, backs, right? I think, right? And away the away he goes, right? So now this person's talking about chiropractor, like your like your back is holds you up. We really need to set up chiropractic clinics and pay for it for free, so that people will be straightened up. This is what Jesus is the one who straightens you up who gives you the backbone to stand up to problems. Come on, somebody. Along, the whole thing is resolved because along comes someone who's into sports. A thousand years from now, who's been reading all, and is kind of a, a nerd of sports. And then he says, no, that's not what this means. He's like, no, no, no. It's about this, it's about that. And the brother then starts to say, right? Listen, this is a sport. They're like a sport, yeah, it's a game. Back then, they had this thing called a game, entertainment. And everyone was looking at the person like, right. so Talk this is not about, about the C6 and your vertebrae? Listen to me. A thousand years ago, they had this sport. right? They had this sport, and it was called football. They're like, what is that? 
They had this football where people, it was incredible. People would get together. It was a national pass, all kind of things. People would get together. There's one team against another. So he then begins to explain the context of this thing mm. that was written a thousand years ago. Mm. Right? He explains to them it's a sport. People were all interested in it, right? There were 11 people that played one way. What a big team, and they had the position of the, they were on this big field, 100 meters, right? 100 yards, right? And they had these lines. And they're looking at him like, what about the chiropractic clinic we bought to start? <laughs> there were these lines that were on the ground. One of the lines where they lined up to have a down, this thing called a down. They had this thing called a down, right? And then they would line up and they would all face each other. And depending on that line called a line, a line of scrimmage, a line of scrimmage, right? That was the center line. And that people would position themselves in relation to that line of scrimmage. And that the person who was all the way back, the position of the person who was all the way back from that line was called a full back. They were fully back. From the line of scrimmage, they were full back. And then there was another position between the line of scrimmage and the full back halfway. The position of that person was called a half back. And then between the half back and the, and the line of scrimmage, there was another position called a quarterback. Everyone's like, what? What? Yeah, and guess, and it's not, and say, what does that mean? It means, okay, so it means then that person usually, rarely was it ever not, that person was probably always the captain of the whole squad. And that person who did their job well, when they sat down, right, and they did this thing called a huddle, he would say, this is what we're going to do. This is where we're going to go. This is how it's going to be. And if something ever changed, when they came to the, to the line of scrimmage, he would look down and look up. And he would see if the opposition had changed because they were getting ready to sack you. And he would see that immediately and would call this thing called an audible. People are looking at him like, he would call an audible, an audible. <laughs> to say, no, 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 they're coming this way, come this way, come this way, come this way. Move, shift, they're getting ready to come on the side. Hold up the side at this end, hold up the side. That's a quarterback. Mm. In other words, Jesus is the captain of our team. Come on, yeah. somebody. Whenever the enemy is throwing something at you, he knows exactly what's going on. He, he's running the show, right? The Holy Spirit is the coach and the father is the general manager. Come on, somebody. And he's so amazing. The guy, keeps, the guy can't hold himself. He's, he's on the roll now. And he's so amazing. Well, what are we doing? We're the spectators. We're watching the whole thing. And the quarterback is so amazing because his dad owns the company. He comes up into the stands and says, you, come on down with me. Like, me, him? No, 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 you, Carmona. Me or him? No, you, you're going to come on the field. You know that I don't... Uh... <laughs> And he's like, he doesn't need you, but he wants you. Amen. Yes, God. Yes, God. Jesus is my quarterback. Amen. That's what that means, says that person with only a thousand years. It's been 2,000 plus years since they've written the Bible. Mm. Right? And don't you understand, this, this, Jesus is my quarterback has to do with football, that, that if we don't take into account the history, mm. if we don't take into account the, the language, if we don't take into account the culture, we will invent all kinds of... Right? The language guy is like, wait a minute. It's not two words. It's not a quarter and back. It's one word. Right? So all kinds of things to help you know that, that that's not what's going on. What, what, what is the takeaway? That the word 
kephale, right? That the word head in the New Testament does not mean leader. It means source. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Source as in the cornerstone, as in the one who covers, as in the one who backs up, as in the one who self-sacrifices. So when Paul is saying mm. that the husband is the kefale, is the head of the wife. Come on. Where's my quarterback at Venice? He's yeah. saying you are the source, source that protects her and keeps her and supports her in the same way that Jesus yes. is the kefale of the church supporting her and keeping her. Doesn't say anything about leader. Amen. Doesn't say anything about the boss of. There's more to come tomorrow afternoon on that. <laughs> what are we saying? Amen. That the kingdom of God isn't like any. In fact, Jesus actually said that. To Pilate. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. Right. Right. So we could, we could keep going tomorrow night. Keep coming, coming back. Jesus is my quarterback. What are we saying? Jesus said to them, he actually used this word. Jesus actually uses this to help unpack to some disciples who are doing this quarterback thing. Remember the story of the disciples going from Jerusalem to Emmaus? Remember that? This is the Bible. Jesus using hermeneutics. Right? They're like, man, what's going on? It's, it's resurrection day. They're on their way to Emmaus, right? And they're depressed. Like, man, I can't believe it's happened. And all of a sudden, a traveler joins them. Come on, somebody. They don't know who it is. They're going through all kinds of drama, and Jesus shows up. They don't know it's Jesus. Like, why are you guys so sad? Huh? Man, where have you, you haven't been in Jerusalem all weekend? Like, what's, like what have you missed? And so they explain, how, you know, our, our leader was crucified. The chief priest crucified him. <sighs> body's gone. We don't know where the body is. And then plus, we thought that he was the one. Right? We thought he was the one. How does Jesus respond to people who don't? How did Jesus? They, okay. They're, they're literally tapping him on the shoulder, asking him to pass the olive oil. That's how close they were to Jesus. Could you pass the olive oil? With the, and Jesus like, here you go. And they still misunderstood what he said. Not no 2,000 years later. Right there. Same Resurrection, resurrection day. Mm -hmm. This is what he said to those people who did not fully understand. He said to them, this is how he responds to them after they tell them that we thought he was the one who was going to deliver Israel. Luke 24, 25, 27, he said to them, how foolish you are. And how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the, prof, the, the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he dehermeneued to them mm -hmm. all that was said in the scriptures concerning himself. Brothers and sisters, we'll, we'll, we'll talk more about this. These are the six steps to discover your family baggage. One of them is prayer, therapy or counseling, finding um, cognitive distortion, discovering if there's aces, and genograms with the therapist, and uh, interpreting the Bible per the Holy Spirit. Yeah. yeah. I bless you. Bless you. Um, if you have questions, we wanted to talk as a group tomorrow afternoon more to have more of a, uh, instead of we'll have some teaching but more discussion. Pray that this has been a blessing for you. Why don't we pray? Let's pray. Let's pray right now. Heavenly Father, we have been talking and sharing the good news of what you have done for us. And we believe, Lord, that you are in the business of restoring your people. Continue to bless your people. Restore, oh God, what the enemy has taken from your people. Thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for sending light to restore what has been taken. And Lord, give us the rest that we need. 
Uh, help us to drive back safely so that we can return tomorrow to continue worshiping you in spirit and in truth. God, we thank you for bringing us into a new Sabbath as the sun is setting. Uh, the edges are here. The sun has set. Uh, thank you, God, for your goodness, and thank you for this holy space and holy time. In Jesus' name we pray. Let all God's people say amen. 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 Bless you. God bless you.